Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. We have so much stuff to talk about this week. It's been one of the most interesting weeks in SEO that I've seen for quite some time. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this Google outage that happened on August 10th. I'm sure you've heard of it. It caused quite a stir. And I actually think that there's a lot that we can learn from what happened at this time. Um, we're really early in our analysis of that. So I'll share a little bit of information with you on what we think is happening and how we can take advantage of uh, this glitch that happened on Google's side. Um, we're going to talk about guest posting and Google you know, John Mueller made some statements this week, or on Twitter, but they made, he made some tweets this week that uh, basically said that guest posting links could have zero value. I'm going to share my thoughts on that, and I'll give you some advice to help you know whether you should be um, auditing your links uh, if you've had a history of doing rampant guest posting. Uh, we have a really great, great question in Q&A uh, asking whether MHC uses Google's Knowledge Graph search API. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts on that, and uh, I think you'll find it quite interesting. And we've got loads of other stuff to talk about. This podcast episode uh, correlates with our online episode of Search News You Can Use, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. It's published on August 12th of 2020, and this is episode number 145. So pretty much everything that I talk about in this uh, podcast episode is covered to some extent in newsletter as well. And newsletter has way more stuff than I'm talking about now because uh, it, this is really one of the best episodes of newsletter I think we've ever had. Lots of great tips in it. I learned a lot uh, from some of the stuff that my team wrote. So this is uh, it's it's a really great episode. Let's talk about about this massive glitch from Google. So August 10th of 2020, it was a Monday, and at some point in the afternoon, some SEOs started noticing that things were going a little bit wonky in terms of rankings. Uh, some SEOs were pretty happy with this, but a lot of uh, a lot of people were not, saying that they had lost massive amounts of traffic, and it really looked like it was a significant Google update. Now, ironically, I was not online Monday afternoon, and I say ironically because uh, some of you who have uh, met me in person know the the running joke is that whenever Google runs a major update, I'm traveling, <laughs> and I, I'm not. I, I think it's funny because I really don't think Google says, "Oh." Marie Haynes is traveling. Let's run an update. You know, they've got a timeline, but it has happened so many times. If you remember, uh, uh, 2000, oh gosh, when Penguin 4.0 ran, 2016, we'd been waiting for two years for Google to update Penguin. And on the day that they did it, and at that point, Penguin really was the the majority of my work was dealing with websites that had link issues uh, that were suppressed by the Penguin algorithm. And, uh, and I was away <laughs> when I was traveling. I was on a train when that happened. I'd waited for two years. And uh, Google ran this when uh, one of the very few times I was offline. Well, sure enough, I was offline on Monday afternoon as well. Uh, and so it was quite a shock when I just before bed, I thought, I'll just check Twitter. And uh, it was probably around 1130. Uh, at, at 11.30 Eastern time, and that's important because that was around the time that Google uh, resolved the issue. So uh, if you had issues with your traffic, um, it seemed to start Eastern time early afternoon. And lasted, I think Barry Schwartz said the peak of complaints was around 5 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, and then by 11.30 p.m., Google had solved this issue and things uh, seemed to re return to normal. 
in uh, our newsletter, we've talked a little bit about um, how you can look at your hourly traffic to determine if something is affecting you right on that day. Uh, because it's often hard, I mean, if you're looking at Search Console to get ranking positions or even other tools, uh, it's often hard to know that particular day whether you're being affected um, by whatever Google's doing. And keep in mind that, uh, you know, the majority of people while this was happening were thinking that this was a massive update. Barry Schwartz uh, said that, in his opinion, the chatter about this update that he thought was an update uh, was larger or as large as when Penguin first came out, when Panda, the early days of Panda, where we saw some massive, massive updates. And we have had some big ones since then. I, I would say August 1st of uh, 2018 was probably on the scale of Penguin. Um, but uh, but not for all websites. Um, but still, this it seemed like there was something absolutely massive going on. So what we started to do the next day was look at all of the clients that we have in Google Analytics and look at their hourly traffic and compare it to uh, the same day the previous week, so Monday the previous week. We noticed that there was a significant number of websites that we monitor that had uh, drastic changes in organic traffic levels uh, at some point in Monday afternoon. And um, we've uh, explained this in newsletter, and I've shown some screenshots as well and, and outlined uh, how you can look at your hourly traffic to determine if this happened for you. One thing to know is that the majority of the sites that we monitor, and we, we have hundreds of sites uh, that we've collected over the years in our Google Analytics profiles, uh, the majority of sites had some type of change. Not all, but the majority saw that their traffic either increased or decreased at that time. Um, and so it actually turns out that this was a bug. So Google Webmasters, they tweeted uh, on Monday, we detected an issue with our indexing system that affected Google search results. Once the issue was identified, it was promptly fixed by our site reliability engineers. And now it has been mitigated. Thanks for your patience. Well, that told us essentially nothing other than, all right, there was an issue with indexing. The thing is, though, that... Uh, you know, it wasn't that pages were dropping out of the index. The main issue that people were noticing is that very low quality results were tending to rank really well. And I saw loads of black hats that were saying, wow, this update was great for me. Now, often that is the case because black hats, uh, you know, they're not going to say, wow, my links that you want to buy from me are no longer effective. Um, you know, black hats tend to, uh, uh, to always say that an update had helped them. Um, but sure enough, though, I mean, we saw screenshots of SERPs where uh, very spammy sites were dominating the first page. And this made us think, you know, this really was a glitch. It's not like Google pushed out an algorithm update without testing it uh, and then said, whoa, 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 the results were not good. Let's roll it back. Um, in my opinion, it's very rare that Google rolls back an algorithm update. Uh, I'm sure it's happened. I feel like there there were some, and I think some have had kind of partial rollbacks. But for the most part, um, Google, you know, they test things severely before they launch them. Uh, and so I don't think that this was an algorithm update. And I don't think you can say, oh, my traffic went up at this time uh, when Google had a glitch. So maybe with the next algorithm update, uh, I'm going to see improvements. I mean, it's certainly possible, but I do think that this was a glitch. So the interesting thing is uh, Gary E shared a, a series of tweets with us 
that explained what happened. And he explained how there's many components to the indexing system at Google, including rendering data, extracting links, extracting and computing uh, certain signals, and more. Um, and then they push this to the index. And apparently something went wrong with one of those components. And so uh, I believe what Gary said was it's kind of like, you know, throw a grain of sand into, into the system and it's so complicated that it can just mess everything up. Um, and so, uh, so what went wrong? Uh, what, apparently whatever was um, pushed into the index was not what Google normally does. So to me, uh, it seems to me that, uh, and, and you know, here's, oh, here's Gary's quote, don't oversimplify search for it's not simple at all. Thousands of interconnected systems working together to provide users high quality and relevant results. Throw a grain of sand in the machinery and we have an outage like yesterday. So what Gary told us is again, there's many components that uh, fit together in order for Google to come up with the results that we see when we type in a query. And one part of that, one component, or who knows, maybe it's multiple components, broke at this time. So I think it's very, very interesting because um, we analyzed which sites were actually improving at this time and which pages on some of our clients' sites were seeing improvements. And it was really interesting to see that uh, the majority of these pages were ones that had quality issues. They were issues that uh, were very clearly outlined in Google's quality raters guidelines. Um, some of them had link quality issues. They had very obvious uh, self-made links pointing at them. Um, some of them had links pointing at them that were uh, kind of gray. Um, so, you know, maybe early algorithms would pick them up as, would not pick them up as spammy. Uh, but my team would probably look at it and go, you know, I, I don't think this is a, a good link. Um, and so what we were seeing was uh, lower quality pages were actually ranking well. Um, and if you're a premium subscriber of our newsletter, uh, you can you can see more of a write-up on what types of pages were uh, were ranking well. I haven't. Uh, I'm not going to make this public at this point, just because we only really have one day of analysis in this, and I knew I had to record podcast episode today. So uh, I, I'm not confident enough in this to um, publish it as an article. But I think uh, I think it's interesting to talk about in podcast. Um, and so for you as the listener, as you're reading to this, just know that this is very much theory what we're talking about. Um, but I really think that the part that broke in uh, Google's whole system that pushes things into the index and provides us with what we see as search results, I think the part that broke was the was the part that determines uh, whether to suppress a certain page or site for quality issues. Now, I, I can hear some of the technical SEOs already firing up their keyboards to, to write about how I've just oversimplified um, you know, everything, and I don't know exactly how Google's algorithms work, but it seems really obvious to me that if something broke and then low-quality sites were ranking, then if we can figure out what it is that, uh, that ranked <laughs> during that time, then we can determine which parts of our websites Google is considering lower quality. Um, so we're going to do some more testing on this over the next few weeks, and I, I, I think it's really, really fascinating. Um, you know, it could be nothing, and it could be, who knows, like maybe what broke as part of the uh, determining um, rendering of pages that were heavy on JavaScript. And, you know, so maybe some very high quality pages dropped out of the index. I, I don't know. It's possible. Uh, but I really think that Google is 
um, you know, they have all these systems to determine what is low quality, what is something that would make a page uh, untrustworthy so that we wouldn't want to show it to our, our users. Something that Glenn Gabe pointed out as well is that it's a large a large number of medical sites that were hit with previous core updates saw um, improvements with this glitch and so that sort of leads some evidence as well to say that uh, perhaps Google has um, has a system to uh, to just suppress sites that have quality issues I'm sure it's way more complicated than I've just explained but we're going to do more research on that I, I think this is really fascinating stuff I did mention in last podcast episode that we were going to look in more detail on the uh, July 21st and July 27th changes uh, I'm not going to share too much about that right now because it's really odd um, when we look at it it doesn't look like a typical tweak of a core update but we had a good number of sites on both of those days, more on the 27th of July, that saw either increases or decreases uh, that um, were not reflected in other search engines. And that's usually, I mean, that's got to be a sign that Google changed something, right? Uh, and so um, we've described this more in newsletter, but if your traffic was affected uh, on either of these days, uh, it, it's a very interesting thing. And it's something where, you know, we probably want to do a little bit more research to figure out what happened. One of the sites, well, actually several of the sites, uh, clients of ours that saw improvements. Um, one of the things that we noticed was uh, that they're, they're, they had received way more people also asks. Uh, I go into more detail again in newsletter, but uh, I thought I'd share with you a little bit about how we determined that these websites had more people also ask boxes than they did before. And this is where our sponsor comes in. I mentioned last week that uh, SEMrush has jumped up to sponsor us. And that is a really fantastic thing because my team and I use SEMrush every single day and uh, we would be lost without it. It's, a, it's such a fantastic tool. And yes, they are paying me to say this, but uh, I would have said it regardless. I've said it before that uh, SEMrush has some fantastic stuff about it. So when we were doing our analysis, there were some things that just weren't lining up. We had sites that didn't see a loss in keyword rankings for their main keywords, um, but also, but did see a loss in clicks. And we had other sites that were the opposite. They, you know, their, their posts did not improve in terms of keyword rankings. Uh, their main keywords, they were always ranking really well for them, but yet they started to get way more traffic. Um, and it didn't look like it was just more people were searching for this term. There, there was something else going on. And uh, so what we noticed for several of these sites is that they had way more people also ask results than they had before this July uh, 21st or 27th update. So the way we checked that is um, uh, in the organic traffic uh, section of SEMrush, you can put in a, a URL. Uh, so it can be your a, a URL on your site. It can be a competitor's URL. You don't need to, it's not like Search Console where you can only look at data uh, from just your own site. And there's tons of stuff you can do with that URL. I'm going to focus on just the people also asks for right now. Um, this is outlined in newsletter. I've got a screenshot that shows uh, exactly how this works. So if you want to try it out for your own site, you certainly can. Um, but you click on positions and there's a drop down that shows you features. And so you can see whether that SERP 
the SERPs that that URL is ranking for, um, whether they have things like a featured snippet or a local pack, or people also ask um, FAQs, things like that, image packs, and, and other things. Uh, and so the other thing you can do if you have a guru plan at SEMrush is set the date back to show previous months. And so what we did in our client's case is we put in one URL that was performing well, and we found that in June, so this is before the July changes, it's only on a month-by-month -month basis as far as I can see. In June, this particular URL ranked, uh, had keywords that displayed 126 people also asks. After the update, they had 245. And so this can explain why they were seeing more, uh, more clicks. Their organic rankings hadn't changed, but their people also, they were featured in the people also ask. Uh, and this was a medical site where uh, people would tend to click on these. You know, you type in a query and, and Google sort of says, oh, well, you know, people who have this query, they also ask these questions and then they would feature our client's site in there. Um, and the other cool thing with what SEMrush does with this is you can actually get screenshots of the SERPs. And so uh, if you wanted to say to a client, um, you know, look, your traffic is down and we don't think it's because we're doing anything wrong. Maybe it's because Google never used to show us a people also ask and now they've put it in there and that's pushed your organic ranking down. Or maybe there's a particular keyword where uh, Google is um, now showing an image carousel and uh, that has made made it so that the number one organic listing uh, is not as uh, highly featured. Uh, and those are things that are very hard to pick out with the tools that we have for free um, with things like Search Console. So uh, if you want to try this out for yourself, again, we mentioned last week that SEMrush is sponsoring us and every week they're going to be giving us a, uh, a promo that you can use. Um, and so you can go to mariehaines.com slash SEMrush, and there's a promo code that will give you a free trial. Uh, and you can also get access to the um, some competitive insights uh, that are really, really interesting. So if you want to check whether your own website saw fewer or more people also asks uh, over the last few months, then uh, we've laid it out in the newsletter how to do that, and you can use this free trial uh, to give it a go. Um, let's move on here. Uh, if you use Google Search Console's API, then please know that there are changes to that. I'm not going to go over it in podcasts because I think there's only a small majority, a small minority of people who uh, actually use the API, but uh, that's something important to know if you are using it. Um, let's move on to talk about guest posts. It's, this is a topic. I, I feel like I've been talking about this topic for years. Even when I was first talking about Penguin, you know, I would say, well, Building links and guest posts, eventually Google is going to figure out that these aren't recommendations for your website. And I do believe that over the years, Google's gotten much better at figuring out whether a link is something that they should count as a recommendation. So John Mueller responded to a tweet on uh, Twitter uh, talking about guest posting. And uh, somebody was saying, you know, long tail keywords are great, but guest posts on good websites like Forbes, Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, those are the ways to get good links. And even though uh, I don't believe John Mueller was tagged in this conversation, he jumped in and said, do you get stats on who reads your guest posts? Since Google doesn't use those for links at all. I imagine you're just doing them for visibility. 
Um, and the reply was, hi, John, I think most people use it for building backlinks. And Google does give preference to the domains with more backlinks. Um, I, I think that's kind of funny to teach John Mueller how Google uses backlinks. But um, regardless, uh, this is a practice that a lot of people are following, right? We know that if we get good links pointing to our website, if we get links from websites that are authoritative, websites that seem to be used by other people, that those links can move the needle and they can help us to rank better. Um, but the thing is that uh, those are self-made links, right? So here was John's response. Now, this was not an official Google uh, announcement or Google document or anything. This is just a Google spokesperson saying this, but he's pretty clear. He says, those links have zero value. It's a waste of time if you're just doing it for the links. So I'm trying to figure out how uh, to explain this in a way that I haven't said many times before. But I, w I think it's very, very important because so many of you and, and many of you who are listening to this podcast episode uh, are building links through guest posting. And I would say that some of those could be maybe okay. But the vast majority of them, I do think they're being ignored by Google. So um, there, you know, there, the discussion that always comes up is, uh, you know, people will say, well, no, it still works for me. Like, I posted these guest posts and my rankings went up. And maybe it's true, but there are many other people, uh, and you can see the, the responses, and um, I retweeted this, and there's tons of responses uh, of people saying, you know what, I used to do guest posting and it's not fruitful for me anymore. So now one thing to know, it's unclear from John's tweet whether he was saying that guest post links from just publications like Forbes are ignored or whether Google tries to ignore all guest post links. Um, now, it was several years ago, Gary Ish told us that Google was really good at determining on Forbes which links to ignore. And our thought was that uh, there are some links on Forbes that, that Google would want to count. For example, if somebody on Forbes wrote an article about um, Google penalties, and they linked to an article that I wrote on Google penalties, then that's probably a good indication that my article on Google penalties is worth recommending, right? And let's say, you know, I get other people linking to it. It sends all these signals to Google to say, you know, other people are recommending my article on penalties. And so when people search for that, they maybe my article's a good one to surface for them. Now, what if I found a way to become a contributor on Forbes? What if I got a, a guest post um, listed? Or what if I had a connection with a journalist on Forbes and uh, they, you know, wrote an article and because they're my friend, they threw in uh, a link to my website? Does that really make it a recommendation of my website? I know people will argue that it, the whoever published this, so Forbes, whoever the, the main editor is for that section, had to make an editorial decision to say, yeah, this is a good article, we'll publish it. But do you think that that makes it a recommendation for my content? It doesn't, right? So I think the people who are arguing that, yes, we should still be guest posting and it works as a really good way to get links, maybe some of your efforts are working, but Google has told us repeatedly that this is not a good idea. 
Um, and we see loads of manual actions for websites that have overdone this type of thing. They're not all necessarily guest posts. I think it's pretty rare that we have a site that has only relied on just guest posting for a way to get links. Most people who are guest posting, they're also finding other ways to build links that maybe the web spam team would not be happy with. Um, but we get guest posts all the time given as examples as unnatural links. And I'll tell you, when we first started getting these, all of the examples were keyword anchored guest posts. So for example, if I wrote a guest post and I got it published on say Moz and I linked back to my site with the words, uh, Google penalty expert, then, um, you know, that's a keyword anchored link and uh, Google even many years ago would probably take issue with that. Uh, we've had discussions for many years on that. Uh, and the general consensus amongst many SEOs, which I don't agree with, is that if you just change that anchor, so it's not a keyword you want to rank for, then it's a good link. So maybe we change the anchor just to show my URL, or maybe we change it so that the words that are linked are not particularly ones we want to rank for. You know, maybe it's like Marie Haynes has done a lot of penalty work and that links to my website. We, we still see links like that given as examples in, uh, when we get manual actions to clean up. So this is very, very important. Um, so the question that everybody has is, uh, well, I've done some guest posting in the past. Do I need to disavow those links? Um, while guest posting is unnatural, uh, for the most part, and I'll talk in a minute about um, some guest post links that may be okay, but while it's unnatural, the thing that really matters in my opinion is scale. So I have clients that years ago, we discovered that guest posting was working for us. And so many, many years ago, we did guest posting and not on a massive scale, but we would do like two or three a month for a local clients. And we would get uh, guest posts published in local blogs. And, uh, and these seemed to really, really work. Now, I don't do a lot of that type of local SEO anymore, but I do believe that um, some local guest posting might be all right. And the way that you would determine if this could help is if those links actually truly bring you customers or bring you amazing brand awareness. So um, one thing that I would recommend doing as your guest posting is seeing, are people actually clicking on those links? Are people coming to your website and converting? Would you want those links even if they were no followed? Uh, and so, for example, you know, again, if I got a, a link, uh, a, a post published on SEMrush, um, you know, if they did an interview with me and uh, I mentioned something that references a post on my website, people click on that link and they go to my website. And so that's probably a signal to Google that this link actually is a recommendation because people were following it to find more information. This is a link that probably is relevant. Um, and so, uh, should you, so going back to my clients where we did a very small handful of guest posting many years ago, what I would recommend is just ignoring those now. Um, maybe if we had really been using heavy keyword anchors, I would probably disavow those. Uh, but if we just did a very small scale of guest posting, I'd say, well, you know, lesson learned, let's move on. Um, and if you've done a larger scale of guest posting, then you might want to consider disavowing those. Uh, we've mentioned this a lot in the past, but John Mueller has said that 
um, it is possible for Google's algorithms to look at a website and say, wow, they've really been overdoing it in terms of link building. So maybe we'll distrust the majority of links to this website. Uh, he did say that this is rare. And in my experience, the cases where this happens are websites that have a very large scale. Uh, so rare is a very subjective term, right? I mean, rare could mean like, oh, maybe it happens to one website a year, or maybe it could be that it happens to only 1% of websites that have done guest posting. But if you think of the millions of people that have done guest posting, that's still a fairly large number. So do you need to disavow if you've done guest posting? Uh, in most cases, I'd say no. If you have hundreds or thousands of either guest posts or um, places where you've provided somebody with an article, and even though it doesn't specifically say it's a guest post, uh, then um, and you've included a link back to your website, if you've done that on a massive scale, yes, I would consider disavowing. In some cases, we have seen improvements after disavowing links like this, but not always. It depends on whether you actually have good links to go alongside of these links as well. If you're not sure, this is something that my team and I can help you with. Uh, you can reach out to help at mariehaines.com. And uh, we do have a link overview plan where my team will take a look at your links. And I mean, my team... I have members on my team that all they do is look at links all day, every day, uh, and look at what Google has told us about link quality. And every little hint we get from something that Google says, ah, this is something that we value, or this is something that we don't like. Uh, we've got massive amounts of information that my staff know in terms of what Google has said about link quality. So if you're interested in having a link overview done, um, you know, then we can do that. Take a look at your links and give you our opinion on whether they're holding you back in search. Moving on, uh, this was really interesting. We missed this tweet from early July, but it was good enough. Uh, I don't know how it surfaced. It was good enough to put it back in, in newsletter in August here um, about CLS metrics. So we know that uh, the core web vitals are going to be a ranking factor at some point, probably next year. And um, one of those factors in the core web vitals is cumulative layout shifts, uh, CLS. And Glenn Gabe tweeted that there was some clarification on this, that CLS shifts um, the way what it matters for core web vitals is the entire life cycle of the page. When you look at CLS shifts in DevTools, which is the way in Chrome DevTools, which is the way that most of us are doing it right now, uh, that only shows just a small period of time. Now, I don't know how far back it goes. Like, I mean, I don't know if. Um, you know, let's say you had a very, uh, a page that had major issues like last month and then you fix that page and for the next year and, and forward, it's perfect. It's not shifting the page around at all. Do those issues from last month affect you? I don't know. I, I would imagine no, but um, this is interesting to pay attention to. Uh, and speaking of which, there was a really cool study done by uh, well, Screaming Frog. Um and Screaming Frog uh, determined that out of, so they assessed 20,000 URLs and uh, ran them against Google's uh, recommendations for core web vitals. And it turns out that uh, the vast majority of these pages would not pass. And I think most of us probably have issues with core web vitals that we need to address. And this is why Google, I'm assuming this is why Google told us that uh, well in advance that these are going to become a ranking factor. Um, one of the things that they noted is that out of the 20,000 URLs that they tested, 
only 12% of mobile and 13% of desktop actually passed the core web vitals when you look at all three of the, the things that are measured. Um, I'll let you read the article for more information on this, but uh, really we should be paying attention to this. Uh, we have another thing in newsletter that Brody Clark uh, shared with us where you can create a GIF to show where the CLS issues are on a website. Uh, so CLS, again, is when content shifts around. And the most common reason is if you have an ad block that appears after the user's on the page. We all know how frustrating it is that you go to tap on something on your phone, and then all of a sudden it shifts and you've, you've just tapped on an ad. Uh, and that's the type of thing you want to measure. So this, uh, there's a way that you can uh, display this in a GIF, which is really good to show to your clients. Like, look, this is what happens when people are visiting your page. And by the way, this is a ranking factor in the future. So, you know, if you're looking for a way to drum up some business, <laughs> then, uh, you know, looking at this type of thing could be very helpful for websites. Um, we don't have a whole lot to add in terms of local SEO. Uh, the... Whatever happened with this Google glitch, I mean, it certainly affected a lot of local websites as well, um, but there was no obvious algorithm update as far as we could see. Google now is, um, and you can read, uh, we've got lots of information on local SEO in newsletter. Uh, our, our partners in newsletter, uh, Sterling Sky, are providing us with this local SEO information. Um, one of the things to know is that Local knowledge panels, uh, some of them now have a call button on desktop as well. And if your computer has uh, the capability to make phone calls, so sort of like Macs or FaceTime, uh, you can do the call to somebody directly from your computer. So uh, I think this is important because I can just picture so many business owners being really confused about what's happening and why are people calling me? I don't know. Maybe they don't know it's from their computer. I haven't actually done any voice calling from my computer, I don't think. But important to know. So if you're getting weird calls and you're like, how did this happen? This could be why. Um, Google My Business oh, has added an online operating hours feature. And this new attribute will let you add a label that says you have online operating hours. And doing so does not uh, affect your open and closed labels on your GMB listing. So um, this is kind of... Uh, Good for businesses that maybe are closed during the day, but you answer your phone in the evening. And that's uh, something that, um, uh, that really should be helpful for a lot of local businesses. Let's move on now to uh, this really good question from Jack Fox. He asked this question via the MHC Inc. Twitter account. Do you ever use the Google Knowledge Graph search API in your work? I ask because it seems like something that would be useful, but I found inconsistencies in the API results versus actual knowledge panels showing up in the SERPs. So I'll tell you, I, I know totally what you're talking about with these inconsistencies. Um, those who are not familiar with the Google Knowledge Graph search API, uh, the API is basically a tool that you can use uh, to query Google's Knowledge Graph. And you can get results back saying, yes, this is an entity. We recognize this as a person. We recognize this as an organization, um, that type of thing. And you can see the entity knowledge. And it's kind of cool in some cases. We've used it in some of our reports to say things like, look, um, when we use Google's Knowledge Graph uh, API, we can see that your competitors are all recognized as uh, organizations, um, uh, and, and you're not, you don't have an entity in this knowledge graph API. And that, that could be some evidence on our, our thought is that can be some evidence, um, against EAT, 
to say, look, like your competitors are big enough that they have entity recognition in the knowledge graph, whereas you do not. Now, I agree with you, it's inconsistent. Um, and I, we don't use it as a regular part of our processes. Uh, we do take some reviews where if we're trying to dig deeply into entity information and to determine, you know, has Google actually recognized you as a, an authoritative company, um, we will look at it. Uh, but we don't make solid conclusions based on what we see. Um, I swore that you used to be able to just query that API via um, w without actually using the API. So uh, that you could actually just use a tool on Google's page um, and put in a keyword and you would get the entities back. And I, I can't find that now. Um, so what we do usually use, though, is Carl Hendry's tool. Uh, I'm sure if you Google Carl Hendry um, uh, knowledge panel or knowledge graph search, you should be able to find it. Um, and so that API is kind of cool. Uh, you can put in, again, brand names of competitors and, and see, you know, are they listed? Are you listed? Why? Why not? Um, and one reason might be, let's say your competitor has a Wikipedia page. Well, that's something that feeds into the knowledge graph and, and can feed Google with entity information. And so um, we might say, look, I, we feel like there's enough, uh, enough evidence, there's enough information around the web on your company. Uh, you've been covered enough in the press. We do feel like you could get a Wikipedia page. And perhaps this will help Google to recognize you as an authoritative entity as well. Um, and we really do feel like that can help. I think something that we use more frequently, and maybe I was getting these two confused, is Google's natural language processing tool. Uh, I don't have the link in front of me, but you should be able to find it. Uh, and you don't have to use the tool. You can use this by copying and pasting stuff into the tool. Uh, and so what we'll often do is copy and paste text from a particular page on our clients' websites uh, that we want to assess, you know, is this really the best quality content? Is the content structured well? Can search engines pull out the entities to say, oh yeah, yeah, this page is about this and this and this. Do they get it right or are they confused? Um, and so what you can do is you can copy in all of the text from a particular page and then the tool will throw back the entities that it pulled out from it. Uh, and so um, it might say, yes, we've recognized this page is talking about diabetes and glucometers, which are entities, and it, it will actually show you like, oh, here's the Wikipedia entry for diabetes. Um, and there's things that you can sort of glean from that saying, uh, I don't know how much detail I want to get into on this, but um, let's say you had pages talking about this amazing medical cure for something, um, and there's no entity information on Wikipedia or any of the sites that Google pulls entity information from. Um, I think that that can contribute to Google uh, saying, well, maybe this doesn't line up with scientific consensus. They can use natural language processing to say, well, this page is clearly about diabetes and helping people recover from this or, or test their blood sugar level. Um, whereas the treatment that they've recommended, we don't have entity information for that. Uh, so maybe this is something we shouldn't trust. I'm making giant leaps here in my um, uh, assumption of that. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, but there's, there's interesting things you can do with that tool. So uh, I'll let you play around with that and see what you think. But as far as the Knowledge Graph API goes, um, we don't use it extensively. Uh, just here and there where we think it can help um, 
help us learn more about a business and, and what entities Google is finding and other search engines as well. I think we'll call it there. I think uh, we covered a lot of stuff in this episode. Again, this is uh, episode number 145 of Search News You Can Use. We have loads of other stuff in the newsletter, um, more thoughts on the Google outage and specific examples of the types of sites that were uh, either improving or, or decreasing with this outage. Um, uh, we've got uh, how to check Google Search Console to see if you have fewer FAQs. That's something I didn't cover in this episode, but uh, a number of people noticed in mid-July that they were seeing fewer FAQs. Uh, and we thought initially it was across the board that July 14th, maybe Google just shut off <laughs> a bunch of sites' FAQs. But we have loads of client clients that actually did continue to have FAQs after that. So, uh, so yeah, newsletter tells you how to check, and you don't need a paid tool to do that, uh, how to check whether you have fewer FAQs. We've got stuff um, from Google on how the quality raters work. I didn't include that because I've, I've talked about that so many times. Uh, and so much more, whether a bad reputation can hurt your rankings. Uh, Amazon or Walmart now is apparently cutting affiliate commissions, which is very unfortunate for those of you who uh, rely on that. Um, and quite a few other things as well. Uh, I'm going to uh, do a bit more work today and then head home to just relax, play some Fortnite. I'm very sad that hockey is over, for me at least. You know, one of my, my team, Alec, uh, has a fantastic website on the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Maple Leafs Hot Stove. I really encourage you to, to read it, although uh, I felt so bad for him. I mean, the the pandemic ended uh, started, you know, just as hockey was getting amazing and then we got all excited because we had more hockey. And then if you're a Leafs fan, you know, we were just severely disappointed as we are every year. We got four games in and now it's over. So uh, bad luck for Alec. No more money from his website. <laughs> um, <laughs> but still, I hope your websites are doing well. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs>